I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, April 10th, 2021, and this is episode 115 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. I am thinking of doing a Q&A episode uh, in the future, so if you have any questions for me that you would like to be answered on air, as it were... <laughs> Please email me at podcast at lpenelope.com, and I will read your question and answer it on air at some point in the future. So this week's best thing is my Gantt chart. I'm calling it my Gantt chart of glory. I literally wrote that down because I'm so very proud of it and I'm so very happy with it. Uh, so I have been planning my next two years of publishing, my publication schedule, taking into account the traditionally published books that are contracted that we'll be announcing sometime soon, and the self-published books that I want to put out also. So sort of the genesis of this was I had a call with my agent this week to strategize because I, I told her, we had talked, you know, before about I can do more than the one book a year that uh, I'm contracted for. So how do we work that in? So while my agent, you know, doesn't help with the self-publishing and doesn't take a cut of any of that, I do have the rights, like the sub rights that she can shop. So foreign rights that I have. I mean, I have all the rights for my self-published books um, and audiobooks. So if I choose, you know, I could front the cost and produce the audiobook myself, or I could have my agent try to sell it and uh, to an audiobook company and uh, take that onus off of me. So the way that I approach self-publishing is probably different than a lot of people, a lot of people who are full-time and uh, full-time authors, full-time self-publishers. I do have another job. And so some of the tasks that uh, a lot of people who are full-time self-publishers do, I just don't have the interest and the time and don't feel like taking on. That's why I use an aggregator instead of going direct to publish the books. So I publish my books directly on Amazon, on Google Play. And one of them is direct on Kobo. For everything else, basically, I go through Draft Digital, which is an aggregator company that you upload your book one place and they send it all to these, all the other places like Apple, Barnes and Noble, all these other retailers. Uh, and they take, they, they take a cut. I think it's 10 to that they take, um, 10 or 15. I can't remember, but in my mind, it is very much worth it because I don't have to upload to 15 places and change my price at all those places, change my description at all those places. That is a fee that I consider worth it. Now, once you're making a lot of money, like giving 10 or 15% for that service may not be worth it. And I totally understand people who want to go direct and either find that the time is worth it or they have an assistant who does that for them, but then they pay the assistant. You know, everybody's working their business in different ways. So talking to my agent about audiobooks, um, I'm fine with having her shop the audiobook because A, it would save me the initial cost, several thousand dollars of um, paying for the audiobook production, choosing a narrator, listening to all of that, editing it, getting the files back, making sure they're okay. Like there's a lot of time involved, I'm sure, in the audiobook production. And given like do still work and, um, I don't know where that time would come from. That is something that is appealing to me to hand that off. I sold audiobook rights to the Earth Zone novellas, you know, for that reason. Um, now there's downsides, obviously, like, uh, whatever advance you get from that might be the only money you ever get. A lot of these audiobook companies aren't promoting your audiobooks. 
uh, you don't have the control over it. You don't necessarily have narrator approval or you don't choose your narrator depending on your contract. But so there's pros and cons to everything. So that's something that every author has to figure out for themselves. Like if, yeah, if your book takes off, then, you know, these people taking a percentage over here and you're just getting royalties potentially over here from the audiobook deal, that might be leaving money on the table. And I think you should plan for success as much as possible. But if I'm planning on putting out these books, I don't know how successful they will be, the self-published books, fronting three, four, five thousand dollars for an audiobook potentially, depending on the length of the book, and all of that time. That's that's a balance. That's a balancing act. And it does kind of irritate me when I go on message boards and in author communities where people insist there's only one right way. Like, you must go direct everywhere. It doesn't take that much time. Or like, I would never leave that money on the table. Like, I consider it paying for a service and my time is valuable. And uh, like, I look at the hourly rate that I charge my clients as a website developer. And then I, I look at, okay, if I'm using those same hours to do X, Y, and Z thing that I don't want to do, I don't like doing, and it irritates me. Is it cheaper for me to pay someone else essentially for that and to manage that? Whatever. Back to my Gantt chart of glory. The first thing I do is work it out on paper. So I, I look at the dates uh, for the contracted things and then the embargo around them that I can't self-publish. And so when am I targeting putting in my self-published books or, or bringing them out, having them published? And so let's say I am targeting January 2022 for a release of the first in this new series. How do I work backwards from that? So if we have it January 2022, um, one thing that I didn't realize that I'd have to take into account because of the conversation with my agent is the audiobook lead time. So regardless of whether I sell audiobook rights or I do it myself, if I want the book to come out, the audiobook to come out the same day as the printed ebook, I'm going to have to finish the book at least three months before the publication date to give the audiobook that time. Um, that's the time that she says that the audiobook companies would, would require. And I'm sure if I did it myself, I would require the same amount of time. So rewind from there. The book has to be edited, proofread, completely done three months early. So publishing in January it has to all be done in October. So if it's done in October, that means the proofreads have to be done, um, you know, like maybe two weeks before that. It means the copy edits have to be done about a month before that. So I'm looking at copy edits in September. If I'm getting a beta read, it's going to be in August. Um, that means I have to be done with it at the end of July. That means I have to start writing it now. <laughs> That's what I discovered. I was like, oh, I think I need to start writing this now. I've already been plotting, but I'm giving myself another week to plot, and then I'm going to do the fast draft. So working in on that, uh, I worked. I do the same thing with my estimated times for the trad pub books. So I'm not in control of those schedules, but I know the due dates, I know the publication date, the targeted date. And so I can sort of assess, you know, and um, make assumptions about, okay, due to the editor here, editor will probably take X number of weeks, months, <laughs> given the date, and then I'll get it back. So there's a lot of question marks in my Gantt sheet, which... Uh, is fine because it's a tool. I know I'm not going to stick exactly to the schedule. It's not possible. And that's not really the point of it. The point of it is to have the target and to figure out, okay, that was book one. When do I want to publish book two? Let's do all the same steps backwards from there and book three, et cetera, et cetera. So I can see 
oh, wow, June is going to be busy because I'm going to have to be revising book X and drafting book Y, you know, and that helps me with my work say, okay, I should not schedule any big mind numbing projects in June because I'm going to have to be working on two different things at the same time, which is already difficult for me. But since I am self-employed and I have flexibility, I can be like, okay, no new websites. I'm not building anything new this summer, essentially. I'm just doing maintenance and or maybe something very easy, you know. That's one of the other benefits of it. I can look at my life and what I know about that's happening in my life and then plan around it. Like in one iteration of this, I had a copy edit to do like on Christmas Day. Well, obviously that's not going to happen. So around the holidays, I have to pad everything not only my time, but if I'm working with editors, they're going to have holidays too, most likely, or um, might want vacation time. So it also helps me know when I need to tell my editor to be looking out for this thing. I can schedule the time because people get booked up. I've already scheduled um, cover designer because I can't get an appointment with my cover designer until September, October. So that went into this the plan also that let me know that I should do the two covers pretty close together so that I have the lead on those. So I can, when book one releases, I can have the pre-order up for book two and do the cover reveal and all of that stuff. So it took several hours to get this together. I did it first on paper and I printed out these this calendars, basically. My preferred view is sort of a reverse Gantt chart. So if you're familiar, a Gantt chart is horizontal. Uh, basically a horizontal timeline. And then you can kind of see the blocks of each task or each project. When I do it on paper, the first step is I like to use the six months per year calendar, which every month is vertical. So it's a spreadsheet essentially, but January is a column with 31 cells and February is a column so that I can sort of go vertically and mark off the days and the months and each project and figure out, okay, I can see the line side by side, and then I transfer that into the computer onto the program that I use for Gantt Sheets, which right now I'm using ClickUp because that's my project management tool. I've used other things in the past. I have used Smartsheet, which is a great program. Um, There's some other kind of free tools. ClickUp is nice because I use it for everything else. The only thing is I can't at the moment export my Gantt Sheet because it's a new feature. I can export it as like one giant PDF. So if I'm looking at 2021 to 2023, you can't read anything. It's, it doesn't split into multiple pages yet. But I contacted support, and that is a feature that they should be adding. And they add features all the time. So I think sometime soon I will be able to export it. So for right now, it's just on my on my computer. And I look at it every day, and I just – it's color-coded. So the way I do the color coding is to help me understand the phases of the project. So when uh, plotting is purple, any book that I'm plotting is in purple, drafting is orange, revision is green. So I can look and I can see if there's two green things, that means I'm revising two things at the same time, which I don't like to do, but it might be necessary. So that's another time when keep things easy at work as much as possible, or realize that I'm going to be working a lot. I would rather draft one thing and revise another thing. That works pretty well for me. But I'm looking at this now and it's, um, there's, and there's, a lot of question marks here. So right now there's there's a couple months when I'm am revising two things at the same time and plotting another one. Like that is not a good idea. <laughs> December is looking really, really gnarly right now. I'm gonna have to make a change. But I, 
that's taking into account some of the projects that have the question marks. And so it just lets me get that high-level overview that makes me feel so satisfied. And even though it took me like two or three hours to make this, just to kind of figure everything out, I did several several different drafts of it um, when I would realize, oh no, that's not going to work. That sounds terrible. Let me switch and move things around. But it gives me uh, some confidence that I can meet these projected publication dates for my self-published stuff, while of course meeting the dates for my contracted things. And I feel great about it. It makes me so happy. <laughs> In other writing update news, I am rereading the heist book. I put it on my Kindle so that I can read it like a book, and then I can just make some notes and highlights in the Kindle in preparation for my revision, which I pushed back to next week. Uh, but I still have plenty of time because my deadline for that is now June 1st. I am also plotting this first self-published book. I'm plotting the whole series in general, but I had to get the first one down. Made a lot of changes to what I thought I was doing, uh, but it's still ongoing. And I'm thinking I'm going to write it in first person, mostly just because I'm having third-person POV fatigue. <laughs> I've written all of Earth Singer Chronicles is third person. Heist is third person. Uh, this other 1830s project is third person, which is still sort of in limbo, waiting for feedback. And it's just been a long time since I've written something in first person. So that was as complicated as it got. I think your POV, those determinations sometimes just come to you. Like when you start writing, you realize, oh, this is this is third person or this is first person. Uh, sometimes it's genre and age group. Like a lot of YA books are first person. A lot of YA readers really like that. A lot of adults maybe don't like first person, but there's enough people who don't care. It's just like, the story wants to be this, and the characters want to be that. And I think that doing first person will help me find the voice uh, and just overcome that third person fatigue. Like it's a lot, it's, they say first person is harder. And in some ways it is. I think you have to be cognizant of what that character knows, what they don't know, what they're suspecting. This would be a dual first-person story, and um, and getting the voices distinct is hard. Uh, the, the other first-person stuff that I've done has been the my Angel series, the Paranormal Romance. So I like Paranormal Romance in first-person, and I think that it just uses a different part of your brain. You know, there's some narrative tricks you might have to get to understand some what other people are doing when you don't have that sort of the ability to pull back that you have with a third person narration where you can be inside the person's head in close third person and then pull back and be a little bit more omniscient without head hopping. I don't like to head hop. Head hopping is when you, you're in this person's head and then you're in this person's head and then you're in this person's head and there's no scene breaks, there's no chapter breaks or anything. Like I always do a scene break when I change perspectives and I'd like close, close third, but even with close, you still have to pull the camera in and out First person does lock you in, but you have that, there's just some, that immediacy and that vibrancy to the voice when this person is telling you their story and they're only in their head. They don't know what anyone else is thinking and they can't really pull back. So I guess we'll see. And some people mix the two. Like I'm reading a book right now. Oh, I just read this novella uh, that one character was first person and then the, the male character, the hero was third person. And it is a little odd, but I've, you know, I've seen people do that before and, you know, do what you want. It didn't stop my enjoyment of the book. I didn't like, I wouldn't recommend it. 
wholeheartedly, so I won't mention it, but it was fine. Other news. In my other writing, um, Requiem of Silence is now available on NetGalley and Edelweiss. Is it Edelweiss or Edelweiss? I just know it from Sound of Music. But those are are both uh, digital ARC, digital advanced reader copy distribution things, websites. So if you are members of either of those and would like to read Requiem before August when it comes out, there will not be print arcs of Requiem, sadly. I've had print arcs of the other three books, and so I was expecting them. I know there's been a paper shortage, and I think because of COVID, a lot of the publishers are not doing paper arcs, unless your name is Jay Kristoff, in which you get four paper arcs of <laughs> the same book. But, you know, he's a very big selling author. There's a lot of... Uh, there's been a whole controversy in the YA world and including authors such as Jay Kristoff for other reasons. But I think part of it came to light because he's getting like four different covers for uh, the next book that's coming out, four different covers of his arc, which is very unusual because it's the advanced reading copy and whatever. But yes, anyone wanting to read and review Requiem of Silence, uh, before the publication date. Please check out these <laughs> alternate means of doing so. I'm also doing my schedule for like promotion and um, the launch of Requiem. Planning everything out. Uh, I'll be designing swag for the pre-order campaign. I contacted the bookstore that I usually use for um, signed pre-orders, Charm City Books in Baltimore. And just planning the read-along that I want to do this summer. All of that is going into the project management. It's not on the Gantt chart. The Gantt chart is just for publication stuff. But I have a whole other section of my project management for uh, other publishing tasks, including releasing uh, the novellas in print, which is happening next month. So the Ursula novellas, they are right now, the first two are in ebooks. The third one is in the anthology under Winter Sky. I'm going to be putting them all together in a collection, uh, a print collection and an ebook collection. And the audiobook collection is already available. So I have to do that. Requiem is coming out. So those are the main two things that I'm focusing on. There might be something else that I have to check my have to check my project management system because nothing stays in my head for too long, unfortunately. But yeah, so this has been like a week of planning. And it sort of coincides with the beginning of Q2 of 2021. I didn't do detailed quarter two planning because um, I haven't been keeping up with that. I've just sort of been focusing on smaller bits of time, which I find to be helpful. I considered doing a physical Kanban board with the sticky notes, author Sarah Cannon and her Heart Breathings um, HB90 method, which I recommend a lot. Um, that's the technique that she promotes there. So having a Kanban board, and I'll link to something in the show notes about that if you don't know what that is. But, uh, and having, so each task was, it would be a sticky note and you'd have all of your to do. You would move the sticky note into the doing section of your board and then you would move it to done when you're done. And that doesn't really work for me. Like it's fine. It helps a lot of people, but it's a lot of work to write out the sticky notes and I don't like extra work. I can type it in. I type all the tasks into my project management system and then I just, you know, check them off when they're done and that works better. And there's a Kanban board view on most project management systems. Um, Notion has one, ClickUp has one. And I do use the multiple views. I was, I've been thinking about doing a video like for a long time. I think I mentioned this last year of how I do the project management because 
I like this program, and I think that other programs do the same thing, where you can look at all of your tasks in a list. I can put them on a calendar. I can put them on a Gantt chart. I can put them on a different kind of timeline. I can put them on a Kanban board. And it's just you know one list of tasks. And once you have the dates, you can do different views or visualizations of that. I've set it up so that I can see what I'm doing every day. So I log in every day and I see these are the things that I have scheduled to do today. If I don't get them done, I move them to tomorrow or, you know, the next day that I schedule them. So I do want to do that video. I just haven't prioritized it. It isn't on the project management system yet. Other cool things I wanted to shout out. Uh, there is an author who created a Chrome extension. So for the browser, Chrome called the Author Sanity Saver for Goodreads. It lets you look at your Goodreads and only see the four and five star reviews. So you can pull quotes for promotional purposes, for marketing, but not have to be, uh, not have to have your spirit crushed by the one and two and three star reviews. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. I actually put it on Chrome. I haven't used it yet, but I, th- I think it's fantastic. So check that out. And my mastermind partner, critique partner slash bestie, Inez Johnson, has a new post on the BookBub blog. It's called How I Make Six Figures as a Self-Published Author. Uh, And I recommend everyone read it. She hit six figures last year, and I'm so, so proud of her. It was just being on the journey with someone. We started at the same time. I think we both published our first books in 2015, self-publishing. I mean, I've known Inez Johnson since I was 17 years old, since freshman year at Howard University. We were roommates senior year. Uh, we have been through writing workshops together, and we started the mastermind together. And for many years, we've like, I want to say almost 10 years, we've been meeting. It wasn't officially a mastermind, but we were doing NaNoWriMo. So um, I've seen her come up, you know, like, start at the bottom, now we're here. And... When she hit six figures, it was just like celebration. Um, she works really hard. She's a single mom. And, you know, when she was laid off from her job a couple of years ago and decided to really put everything into writing and publishing, I mean, I couldn't be more supportive or happy or excited. And she's done a great job. So if you have um, aspirations of making it big in self publishing and you have the requisite talent, temperament, desire to write a lot of books very quickly. But even if you don't, I think there's still great tips in there. So yes, I'm linking that to, to that in the show notes. Check out the BookBub blog and uh, learn some things. I know I did. So that is it for me for this week. I will talk to you next week. My goals are to plot this first book, um, start my revision of the heist novel, and continue to enjoy my charts and my plans. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and check out the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more amazing podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcast.